Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Shireen podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. Now, I just want you guys to pretend with me that there was a pop sound at the start of this episode like I've been trying to do more often lately. I forgot I accidentally opened my pop before we started recording. But that's alright, you know, because... It's good. I hope you guys are well. Um, I have had a really interesting last two weeks. Let's see. I was sick last week. That really sucked. And honestly, I still feel a little sick. I had a sinus infection, I think. Definitely not COVID. Which is like, it's surprising. I've been getting like so sick lately with like sinus infections. But like, I can't seem to catch COVID. Like it's been, it's, it's literally been three years. I've never had COVID. So... That's interesting. Either my body is, like, really, really tough, or I'm just, like, actually really, really weak, and, I'm like, maybe I've actually had COVID, and it's just never come up positive, but honestly, if I've never come up positive, it doesn't count. My record is still completely clear. <laughs> anyway, um, I also went to my first ever, well, technically not first ever, kind of first ever, formal dance. My, my university had um, a formal for my dormitory. And I was really excited to go, and but I didn't really have, like, any, like, proper, like, formal wear, like, because I never went to prom. So, I don't have a prom dress that I can reuse, so I decided to go thrifting, very, uh, very girly pop of me. <laughs> um, um, I went thrifting for my dress, and I found this, like, uh, dress technically in, like, the casual section, but it's, like, it's made out of, like, chiffon, so it kind of feels like it's not casual. Like, I could wear it to, like, a spring wedding. It's purple. It's really pretty. It's it's kind of very Y2K. That's kind of why I picked it up. It was also the only thing that ended up fitting me from Value Village because uh, things just don't fit me. It's just a thing. Anyway, dance was pretty fun. Uh, the food was good. Uh, I ate a lot of appetizers. Um, the atrium where we had it was decorated very nicely um the band that we had was great although I wish I had hired a DJ because like while the the band was incredibly talented and all very very nice people um they weren't playing like anything from like this century (laughs) so no one was like dancing or getting super hype because we didn't know like half half the songs and even the ones we did like they just aren't really good dancing song so that kind of sucked but other than that I had I had a lot of fun I looked really pretty I was very like Taylor Swift speak now era like I was wearing a lot of purple (laughs) so that was a lot um oh what else oh speaking of Taylor Swift have you guys been keeping up with like the eras tour because like I have as an international Swifty it makes me very very upset that I can't go to her concert right now because my mom won't let me 
<laughs> go across the border to go and see her concert, uh, which is hilarious coming from an adult 21-year-old woman uh, her mo- who her mommy won't let her <laughs> go to a Taylor Swift concert in America. But it's fine. She'll come here eventually. It's fine. I, during the summer, well, at least some part of the year, I live close enough to Toronto to warrant going there for a concert. So we'll see. Come on, Taylor. We really need those international dates right now. Anyway, enough about me. That's not what you guys are here to hear about. Uh, today, we are discussing Ingeborg of Denmark. Now, I certainly hadn't heard of her. I heard of her for the first time from the very lovely Katie and Nathan at Queen's Podcast. They did a whole episode on her. So after you're done listening to this episode, you should definitely go check out their episode on Ingeborg of Denmark. But basically, Ingeborg was a Danish princess from the 12th century and she was married to the king of France, and very, very suddenly she gets in some pretty intense uh, divorce settlements, like almost immediately after she's married, her husband suddenly doesn't want her, and it's a big mystery as to why that happened, and she spent a lot of her time being imprisoned in France just trying to fight for her right to be Queen of France, and her story is absolutely wild, and I'm so excited to discuss it with you guys, so let's get into it. Also, before we start, I just wanted to, like, say I hope you guys really enjoyed the last episode that I did with Aubrey and Emily of the National Treasure Hunt podcast. It was my first time ever doing, uh, like, an episode with other podcasters, and I hope to do more of them now that I've figured out Skype and recording with people who aren't here with me. I, I know you guys are used to my <laughs> shitty audio quality when I interview people who aren't here with me, but hopefully that'll get better now that I've figured out Skype. Anyway, uh, Ingeborg of Denmark was born sometime in 1174, possibly in Denmark, as the youngest child of King Voldemar I of Denmark and his wife, Sophia of Minsk. Now, since we don't know her birthday, because this is the Middle Ages and no one actually thought it would be a good idea to write down the day and place Inge was born, let's talk about her name, because it's really unique. I've never met or even heard of anyone actually named Ingeborg outside of her, so I want to learn more about Ingeborg as a name. Now, the first part of her name, Inge, is a reference to the Norse god Ing, known, also known as Freya, who is the goddess of fertility in Norse mythology, and is also really cool because she drives around in a chariot pulled by cats, which automatically makes her, like, so much cooler than all the other gods. Like, I want to ride around on a chariot pulled by cats, but I am allergic to cats, so that probably wouldn't go very well. Um, and the second part of her name, Borg, translates to, uh, with the help of and put together Inge and Borg. Her name simply means with the help of Ing, which I think is, like, an interesting choice for the ultra-Catholic Danes who had, like, abandoned paganism, like, a while back at this point. Like, I think Denmark had been uh, Catholic for, like, a couple centuries at this point. I'm not super familiar with the transition uh, between uh, paganism and Catholicism in Scandinavia, but I think they had been Catholic for a while, so it's really interesting that, uh, despite the fact that they're Catholic now, uh, the Danish royal family is still really into naming their kids after old pagan gods. <laughs> That's really cool. Definitely an interesting choice by her parents. Uh, speaking of her parents, let's get to know them and what I think 
Inge's childhood and education would have looked like. Uh, now, before we get into Inge's childhood, we have to talk about her parents, Sophie and Voldemort, because their childhoods were also unbelievably fucking wild. Um, starting with her mom, Sophia, who we think, we're not sure, we don't know a ton of concrete information about Inge's mom, Sophia, but here's what we do know. Uh, we think she was the daughter of a Russian prince, but she was almost definitely the daughter of a Polish princess who was really getting around in her time. Uh, little Sophia essentially followed her mom around the Nordic world as she acquired a new marriage and new baby daddy basically every five minutes until her mom finally settled down with the king of Sweden, uh, Sevaker the first. Um, now, as the stepdaughter of the king of Sweden, she was a very important political tool because her stepdad didn't have any daughters to marry off. Uh, Sophia was contracted to marry Inge's dad to end a bloody Scandinavian civil war where several members of both of their families were making claims on the combined Swedish and Danish thrones and were making a proper Viking mess. Um, initially, Sophia's older half-brother, a cousin of theirs by the name of Swern and Valdemar were all vying for the throne at the time. However, there uh, they came to a compromise to split it between them until Sophia's brother died in battle, and Swern also died, possibly in a fight with some peasants, leaving Valdemar as the last man standing. Now, once Valdemar was sole king of Denmark, he married Sophia as, you know, contracted, and the two of them worked together to make Denmark stable again by reorganizing the military, building stronger fortresses, and rega regaining old Danish territory. Now, according to the rumors, Sophia was beautiful, dominant, and cruel, which I I don't know. Now, actually, I kind of believe it. If she was, like, half Rus, she has, like, the same blood as another favorite queen of France of mine, uh, Anne of Kiev, uh, who's also, like, pretty fucking ruthless, at least considered pretty ruthless and domineering in her time. So, you know, honestly, I could totally see Sophia as, like, this, like, really, like, dominant, like, half-Russian mom for Inge. She was also half-Polish. I've never met a Polish person, but I, I wonder if that... <laughs> affected her personality in any way. Anyway, as I've said, Inge's parents were pretty big characters. Her dad was this really successful king of Denmark who had brought peace, and her mom was this, like, really outspoken personality, a great consort for Voldemar in all the different ways. Uh, but unfortunately, she didn't get to know either of them really well in her life. Um, Inge's dad died when she was eight, and he was succeeded by Inge's 19-year-old brother, uh, Knut VI, who was um, <clears throat> uh, now not only responsible for several little siblings, uh, Inge included, but also a whole fucking kingdom at 19. Like, I would have just been like, mm -mm, I'm going to need some advisors to help me. I couldn't organize anything at 19. <laughs> anyway. Um, about two years after Inge's dad dies, uh, Inge's mom basically gets the equivalent of a you-up text from Louis II, uh, Landgrave of Thuringia. That's not how you pronounce that, I'm sure. But, um, basically, Louis III over here thought Sophia was really hot and wanted her to marry him right now, which she immediately accepts and runs off to Germany, where he lives, to get married. Um, 
And Inge never really saw her mom much while she was married to Lewis until she came back about six years later, uh, divorced. Sophia is so much like her mom. Anyway, uh, so at this point, Inge is having like a dumpster fire of a childhood before she's even a teenager. Like her dad's dead, her mom like basically abandoned her for like six years to like go and marry someone and then came back. Anyway, and she's being raised by like her brother. Anyway, um, although in good news concerning her brother, her brother seems like he was like really good guy and made sure all his siblings were like well taken care of uh, to serve as leaders and make suitable political matches for them. Now, we don't know any specifics about Inge's education, but based on the fact that we know she could read and write, I can assume that she got a pretty standard education afforded to princesses at the time. Um, now, as a possible future queen or duchess, she would have been expected to be able to run a household, which meant dealing with finances. So she probably would have needed to know at least basic math, how to do accounts, uh, not to mention, you know, all your typical girly stuff, singing, dancing, sewing so much more to refine her and make her an attractive match to a king or a duke. Also, I, I'd assume that she was schooled in how to speak Danish as well as Latin for her religious education, but I'm like mildly curious if she was ever taught any Russian or even Polish, since uh, actually both her grandmothers were Russian princesses on uh, both sides of her family, which is really cool. Um, as for her looks, we have no specifics, but a lot of writers said that she was really pretty, and actually compared her to Helen of Troy several times, uh, and said that she was a model of virtue and wisdom. Um, however, uh, this guy named Etienne de Tournai, who would end up being one of Inge's best friends, chose to describe her as, and this is a direct quote for you guys, uh, the beauty of her soul overshadowed that of her face, which is, like, a little harsh on Etienne, like... Etienne, that's kind of, like, mean, but, like, I, I guess what he's saying is, like, her personality was so beautiful it didn't matter what she looked like, but, like, <laughs> I guess he wasn't, like, as a friend, I guess he wasn't really interested in kissing Inge's ass, so she was, he was, like, her personality is so beautiful. <laughs> um... Now, in my imagination as to what she looked like, I, I'd assume due to her primarily Nordic heritage, I'd assume that she was probably a blonde or a redhead, you know, pale skin, lead eyes, which is how I'm going to choose to picture her for this episode. But, you know, you guys have, have your own opinions. You can imagine Inge looking any way you want. <laughs> it's a choose your own adventure this episode. Also, uh, a side note uh, that I think is really telling of Inge's personality and that I want to mention before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode is that even during a time when Inge was going up against one of, uh, you know, the most powerful French king to exist up until that point, uh, the majority of the French nobility at the time when Inge was in France sung her praises. They loved her, which I, I think really just goes to show that she had such a sparkling personality. Even the people who were supposed to hate her really liked her. So good job, Inge. Go, girl. Now, as Inge aged into her teen years, she was probably expecting to go down one of two paths in her life. Row number one, her brother could send her off to a convent to serve in a religious order, like uh, he had already done with her two older sisters, Maria and Margaret, or she could be used as a political tool and marry into a prestigious family and become a representative of Denmark's interests abroad. Now, 
It was probably a tough call. After all, Inge had other other sisters for her brother to use. Uh, he could have sent her to a convent and she could have become a very influential head of some Danish church or something. But instead, her fate was decided when Philip II of France came and knocking on Denmark's door. Now, before we get into this, it's important to have some historical background on what was going on in Europe at the time, as well as what the fuck was Philip II of France's deal? Now, at this time in French history, France was basically in a wrestling match with England, as they always are, uh, because the English actually owned more France than the French did, which was mildly frustrating for the French. Uh, now, Philip II became king when he was about 15 or 14, and Philip wanted to destroy, to destroy English power in France, which was something his father hadn't been able to do as king. Now, as much as you will see why I don't like Philip, I, I gotta hand it to him. He was a very shrewd and effective ruler who managed to shrink English power simply by turning the sons of King Henry II of England uh, against their dad, which was all too easy because they were all like hotheads. Uh, while I admire that in him, um, unfortunately, Philip's uh, dad's personality was passed on to him, which caused him to treat women in his life extraordinarily badly in order to get what he wanted. Uh, Philip's first wife was a lady named Isabella of Hanolt, uh, who was from Holland. Uh, he was made to marry her by his father because of the nice lands that came with her dowry. Uh, they got married when uh, he was 14, she was 10. Ew. Now, despite the fact that literally no one expected her to start having kids until she was at least 15, uh, Philip didn't like that uh, Isabella's dad had supported some of his enemies, so he tried to divorce Isabella for not providing him with an heir. At, like, she was, like, 13 when he, <laughs> he tried to divorce her. But, like, what the fuck, dude? She's, like, she's a fucking young teenager. Of course she hasn't given you kids yet. But Isabella didn't back down, though. And she actually, <laughs> in order to embarrass Philip, she in public watched walk to a church barefoot to do penance, which gained her sympathy from the people and also caused her to get in a totally bad screaming match with Philip. But a good news for her, uh, he didn't divorce her. Um, a few years later, uh, Isabella would eventually give birth to the future king, um, <clears throat> Louis VIII of France, and unfortunately a year later would die giving birth to twin boys. Now, while embarking in the Third Crusade, I think Philip probably realized when he got to the Third Crusade that there was a lot of death going on around there, and that it was probably important that he marry again because he only had one son, and, you know, that was no guarantee of stability, you know sons could drop dead like flies. He needed more than one. So Philip started shopping around Europe for a new alliance, and he ended up landing on Denmark with Ingeborg as his top choice for a new bride. Now, many people in France at the time thought Denmark was a really strange choice for Philip to want to ally with, as they weren't incredibly wealthy or powerful, but they did have two things that Philip wanted. The first was a bomb-ass navy. Uh, that Philip did not want to be on the wrong side of. Also, Denmark had a really decent claim to the English throne, which Philip could, you know, dangle in front of Engl any English king he wanted to piss off, that maybe his future kids would have a really good claim to the English throne. 
Now, because Inge's brother actually cared about his sister, he made sure to negotiate the hell out of Inge's marriage treaty. Um, her dowry consisted of 10,000 silver marks, which I'm sure is a hell of a lot of money in modern money, as well as uh, the promise that Inge would be crowned right after she got married, which was, you know, all cool with Philip. He agreed to everything. Uh, next thing you know, 17-year-old Inge was put on a boat with some French and Danish dignitaries and was ready to start her new life in France. Now, Inge arrived in the town of Imens, I think it's Imens, <laughs> on August 13th, 1193, where she met her husband for the very first time. Now, Philip has never been considered exceptionally handsome. In fact, I read that despite only being in his 30s at the time, he was going bald. So, I wonder if that bothered Inge at all. Anyway, uh, since Inge didn't speak French and Philip didn't speak Danish, they, very much like Catherine of Aragon and Prince Arthur, had to speak in Latin which was, uh, again, difficult for them because they spoke different dialects of Latin. Um, the next day, their official wedding ceremony was performed and they spent the night together before, finally, on the 15th, Inge was crowned as Queen of France. Now, everything seemed to be going very well. Uh, that was until after the coronation at the reception. Uh, some people have noticed that Philip had looked a little pale and woozy before the coronation, but some people just assumed he was, you know, a little nervous, you know, those things happen. Uh, that was until, uh, at the reception after the coronation, uh, he went up to some Danish dignitaries and was like, hey guys, how you doing? Um, when you go back to Denmark, could you do me a solid and take Inge back with you, please? And I'm sure everyone at the moment was like, Sorry, take take her back? But you just got married. What do you mean take her back? And he was like, I need you to take her back. I want an annulment right now. Now, I can't even imagine what Inge must have like felt like when this happened. She had secured one of the most prestigious matches that any princess in Europe could have possibly hope for. She was probably just, like, you know, vibing, eating some hors d'oeuvres. She probably wasn't even out of, like, her coronation robes yet. And suddenly, her new husband is like, yeah, babe, it's been real, but I gotta move on. So, what happened? Why is Philip acting like this? Why is he trying to get a divorce after five minutes of marriage? The answer to that question is, we don't fucking know. Um, many theories have been thrown out there to explain why Philip was so quick to dump Inge. Uh, some say that Philip found her ugly, or that she had bad breath, or that he realized that the Danish alliance wasn't going to benefit him the way he thought, so he was trying to dump her as quickly as possible and find a new alliance. Now, Inge had very few allies right now, so she decided to flee to a nearby convent where she could claim sanctuary, while her brother's legal team tried to fight this annulment. Now, three months later, she spent three months in that convent, she was invited to a council organized by Philip in order for uh, both of them, mostly him, uh, to present their cases about why or why not they should get this annulment. Now, the council consisted of 15 bishops, counts, and knights who were either Philip's relatives or his household members. Now, Philip's argument was presented. He stated that Inge was actually related to his first wife, Isabel, within four degrees, which was um, within the forbidden degree of affinity by church law, uh, which was actually false. Um, but Philip was so desperate to win this case, he actually had a fake family tree drawn up to show like how they're related. He was like, see, guys, I swear, we're like totally related. Look at this totally not fake family tree I made. <laughs> Now, despite his weak argument, this council was 
totally and stupendously rigged in Philip's favor. The council declared Inge and Philip's marriage null and void. Now, when the council's announcement was translated to Inge, you gotta remember she didn't speak French and they did this whole proceeding in French. Um, she got up in front of everyone at this council and shouted in Latin, Malafrancia, Malafrancia, Roma, 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 which basically translates to bad France, bad France, to Rome, to Rome, to Rome, which in uh, modern terms also translates to this council is fucking rigged. I want a second opinion. I want to talk to the fucking manager of France right the fuck now. We need to go to Rome. We need to talk to the Pope about this. This is basically <laughs> what Inge was saying. Also, my mom suggested a joke um, for this when I told her that I was going to be doing In Ingeborg of Denmark. Um, Inge was basically saying, fucketh this shitteth. <laughs> now, this definitely worried Philip a lot. The whole reason he organized this council to get this done quickly was because he didn't want to go to the Pope because he knew he would lose. Um, so, uh, immediately after this, Inge sent an official appeal to Pope Celestine III, which uh, Inge's brother Canute tried, also tried to send ambassadors to Philip's court to smooth things over, but Philip just can't kept sending Canute's ambassadors away. Um, eventually, the Pope reached a decision and declared the council's ruling invalid, but Philip was like, la-da-da, not listening, can't hear you, we're divorced, and had Inge confide to a chateau, and he started his hunt for a new wife, which is about to be crazy. <laughs> okay, so... Shockingly, well, at least only shocking to Philip, uh, very few men were interested in marrying off their sisters and daughters to him because so far his marriage track record was to try to divorce his 13-year-old first wife for not giving him any children uh, because he was being petty about her relatives not listening to him and now was trying to divorce the second one after five minutes. So women weren't exactly lining up to be his next wife. Um, although eventually he did find a new wife in a woman of... Uh, named Agnes of Morania, and he married her almost immediately after he found her. Now, Inge responded to his new marriage uh, by accusing Philip of being a bigamist, which the Pope agreed with, and demanded Philip leave Agnes and go back to Inge. Now, Philip responded with a giant fuck you and claimed that Inge and him hadn't consummated their marriage and that, worst of all, Inge was a witch and had performed magic on him. Now, uh, Philip had Inge moved to a more secure castle, where she was now 100% truly a prisoner. Now, over the next five years, as Philip lived with Agnes, and she provided him with two children, um, Inge rotted away in a castle where she was very poorly treated, starved, and received no visitors except for a priest for her prayers. Now, finally, in the year 1200, the Pope got sick of Philip's fucking shit and placed an indirect uh, over France. I, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Basically, one, uh, oh, no, is it an in interdict? Interdict. He, he placed this thing over France, which basically means that, like, the church shut down all over France. Like, the doors of churches were shut up. Uh, gates of cemeteries were closed. Uh, you couldn't do the sacraments. Uh, the only services that were allowed were baptisms for, uh, newborns. And, um, uh, being able to be consecrated, I guess, uh, for those who were, like, seriously ill, like, you could, like, take your last prayers before you died and stuff like that. And, anyway, um, 
observances of mass stopped, uh, confession ceased, confirmations, marriages, and conferring of the holy orders were suspended, uh, bodies were left unburied, which made cities smell ten times worse than they already did. It was a fucking disaster. I mean, Philip's own son, his, his, his only child, 14-year-old Louis, actually had to go get married outside of France because... He, could, he couldn't get married legally because of his stupid fucking dad. Um, in good news, though, this whole thing did force Philip's hand, and he agreed to start negotiations again with the Pope. Uh, now, at the time, uh, his wife, Agnes, was pregnant, so it was agreed she was allowed to stay with Philip till the baby was born. Um, <clears throat> but she died shortly after the birth while Philip was in negotiations. Now, despite the fact that Philip's new wife had died, and he now had a spare heir, uh, and it was, you know, perfectly reasonable for him to just, like, fucking drop this whole drama and go back to Inge, he stuck to his guns and still resisted the Pope's orders to go back to Inge and still kept her locked up. Now, the Pope and Inge's other brother, the new king of Denmark, uh, Voldemort II, uh, Canute had died at this point, um, basically Voldemort was begging Inge to just accept the separation, come home, he'd find her new husband, someone better, someone nicer, and to just, like, stop all this stuff. But Inge fucking stood her ground. She was like, no, I'm the queen of France. I need to stay in France. Keep fighting for my rights, please. Now, many attempts were made from the years 1207 to 1212 to talk to Philip. However, he was just kind of going through this, like, really weird manic like, phase, where he had a lot of mistresses and didn't want to even, like, open conversation of taking Inge back, until politics, very conveniently, intervened on Inge's behalf. Now, in the year 1213, King John of England conspired with Otto of Brunswick, Emperor of the Germans, to create a, like, two-sided attack against France. Now, uh, in return, Philip wanted to take the English throne, uh, against John, but he had no allies that wanted to remotely support him because he'd been an asshole. Uh, until he realized, oh yeah, you know that wife I've been keeping locked up? Her brother has, like, a really cool navy, and also that claim on the English throne that I married her for the- <laughs> married her for in the first place. Now, at this point, Inge has been stuck in France for over 20 years. She has been- locked up basically in a dungeon, starved, ignored, forced to sell her clothes and jewelry. She has been treated absolutely fucking abysmally until in 1213, Philip was like, hey, my beautiful wife of 20 years. Oh my God, it's been such a long time. Do you mind talking to your brother for me about borrowing his ships? And now Inge, Inge could have been really bitter about this and been like, no fucking way am I helping you. And honestly, I'm sure she still made him beg on his hands and knees for help, but she did agree to talk to Voldemort about the ships in exchange for her recognition as Queen of France. Uh, <clears throat> and that was granted to her. Yay! Uh, Voldemort's navy actually helped in the offensive against the English and the Germans, which was really great for Philip. Now, now that Inge was officially recognized as Queen of France, uh, she was freed from her uh, imprisonment. Uh, she wasn't allowed to live in Paris with Philip, but she was given her own setup, uh, new clothing, jewels, and 
fucking real food for the first time in 20 years. Uh, she and Philip saw each other, you know, every once in a while. She went to events with him and his three children and uh, his ever-growing brood of grandchildren. Um, now, since Inge never had kids of her own, I'm sure she enjoyed, you know, doting on her step-grandchildren whenever she could. After all, she was the only grandma that they had. Uh, so she really developed a deep connection with them. Uh, I also read that while Inge was at French court, she actually made uh, a really decent friendship with a woman named Berengaria of Portugal, who was an orphan princess living at French court. Now, at that time, Inge's brother had actually uh, recently lost his wife, and Inge hit it off really well with Berengaria, so she was like, you know, these two would work really well together. So, um, Inge was like, hey, Brother Voldemort, meet my friend Berengaria. And Voldemort just, like, fell head over heels for Berengaria, and the next thing you know, they were engaged. Um, in bad news for Berengaria, though, she wasn't really popular in Denmark because of Voldemort's previous wife's popularity. Also, Berengaria was foreign. Uh, Voldemort's first wife had been Danish. And Berengaria was, like, the complete opposite of Voldemort's first wife. She had, you know, dark hair, dark eyes, while Voldemort's first life wife had been this, like, blonde lady. Um, <clears throat> that's, like, a, a whole side note that's, like, not important. I just thought it was cool that Inge, like, had this, like, huge amount of influence that she managed to arrange her brother's second marriage. And I, I actually think it kind of goes to show how close she was with, like, her, her brother. Um, after 10 years of actual proper marriage to Philip, uh, Philip passed away in July of 1223 after almost 30 years of marriage to Inge. Like, it's crazy that they were actually married for that long, but, like, it doesn't really feel like that because she was locked up for 20 of those years. Now, on his deathbed, he requested that his uh, son, also named Louis, uh, not also named Louis, I've, it's, uh, anyway, you know what I mean. Uh, he requested that his son Louis uh, treat Inge with dignity, which is very big of him. I'll give him that. Uh, throughout the reigns of her stepson Louis and her step-grandson, uh, Louis IX, uh, she was given all the respect that was due towards a widowed uh, French queen, and she was invited to all major royal events like, you know, weddings, birthday parties, holidays, fucking christenings and shit. Um... She was also finally given access to the dower lands she had been promised, like, 30 years ago, the thing that was, like, supposed to provide her with income, which finally made her financially independent, by the way, which is something she put to very good use. Uh, when her brother and nephew were kidnapped in 1223 by Henry Count of Schwerin, she was sent, she sent a large contribution towards the funds needed to ransom them. That's a side note. Her brother and her nephew got fucking kidnapped. I'm Maybe we'll get to that story one of these days if I ever do, like, an episode on, like, maybe Berengaria of Portugal or something like that. Anyway, that's a side note. Uh, Inge also gave generously to churches, uh, founded her own religious institutions, and adored visiting hospitals and giving things to the poor, which, you know, makes sense. I mean, she was basically poor for 20 years. Um... Inge finally decided to retire from public life and settled on an island um, off the coast of France uh, in, a in a priory that she founded called Saint-Jean-de-Ile. At some point in 1237 or 38, Inge became very sick and passed away at the age of 63 at the priory she founded. She had lived in France for nearly 45 years of her life, had fought to be its queen for nearly 20 of those years, and had died as one of the most respected members of the French royal family.
Alright kids, let's talk legacy. Now, Inge may not have been able to be Queen of France properly for most of her tenure as Queen, but by studying her fight to be recognized as Queen, I see an amazing woman with resolve like steel and heart like gold. Also, the fact that a young woman was able to defy the will of by far one of the most powerful kings of France for nearly two fucking decades is impressive as hell, so cheers to that. I'm so glad she never gave up. Thank you guys so much for joining me in this episode. I will see you guys in two weeks with a brand new episode. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.